Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. My name is Karen Ernst and I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra and I'm a General Pediatrician from Des Moines, Iowa. And we are here today to talk about HPV and cervical cancer. And we have two very exciting guests today. The first guest is uh, Christine Bays from um, the Under the Yellow Umbrella. I'm sorry, it's just the Yellow Umbrella organization. And our second guest is going to er, to be Frederick Lumiere, who uh, is a filmmaker from the film um, Someone You Love and Lady Ganga. And, um, and also Christine was in that film. So we've got some exciting stuff. Um, but first, we're going to do a little segment to start us off called Around the Web. And we're going to each talk about something we've seen on the Internet that we think is interesting uh, concerning vaccines that we want to talk about. So why don't you start, Nathan? Okay. Well, the big thing that I think it, it's really one of the biggest pieces of news that we've been kind of having to deal with and think about the repercussions of, and that would be... Uh, the announcement from Robert F. Kennedy Jr. that he has been appointed to some sort of what he calls the Vaccine Safety Commission by President-elect Trump. And that then there was this backpedaling on the part of the Trump team where they said, well, we didn't really say that we were going to do that. We haven't made any decisions, but maybe we're thinking about an autism commission of some kind. But then RFK Jr. kind of doubling down and giving details about what he thinks is going to be on this commission and saying that it's kind of been in the works for a month or so. And the response of the community of people who are concerned about preventing disease has been rather tremendous. Pediatricians are worried about this. Physicians are worried about this. Concerned uh, parents are worried about this. Um, and I think the biggest question that's on people's minds is what, with this kind of nebulous situation, what do we, what can we actually do? What steps do we take? Because I think it's well recognized that this commission we already have very good vaccine safety oversight. We already have a commission like this and multiple committees actually that look at the safety of vaccines, that look at it from different um, viewpoints, that have a variety of experts as well as concerned citizens on these panels. Um, this proposed commission is not going to add to safety. It's clearly a commission with an agenda. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has not had a uh, a very good, um, oh, a, pro a very scientific approach to this. And right. it clearly He's an has an a lawyer. So exactly. Yeah. And he clearly has his agenda and his ideas. He believes that there's something fishy or bad going on and he's going to prove it. Um, and he's shown that in so many things that he said about vaccines. You know, he has compared vaccinations to a Holocaust. He has, um, go, he go, has gone on kind of rants about various different vaccines, meningitis vaccine, whatnot, mm -hmm. none of which hold up to scrutiny when you actually look at the facts and the science. And so it is understandably concerning for people looking at this potential commission being made that this is going to be, you know, it may or may not, it's be being debated as to how much it can actually affect policy, but it can certainly affect public perception. And I think that's what we have to really kind of gear up for uh, in the, in the, in the coming years. I think you had kind of uh, talked a little bit about uh, you had kind of a call to action about things that people right. could do. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you, you, one of the first things that happened when the RFK news came out, and it was it was very odd how it came out. I also want to mention that there was a 
big interview in Science Magazine. So he went in, he had a meeting with President-elect Trump, um, and then he came out and did a press conference, and then he did this big interview with Science Magazine. And you can you can read that, but um, I mean, he sounds very much like he's leaving a whole bunch of stuff so he can do this commission. So he seems convinced it's happening, Yeah. Um, which had everyone sort of up in arms, like what's, what's going on and, and what can we do about this? So what Voices for Vaccines and Every Child by Two kind of got together and we talked about it and we, and we thought, you know, people, we, you know, you can't, it's not like you can write to Donald Trump and say, no, please don't have this commission you said you're probably not having. So people are very confused about what to do. So what we're doing is we're collecting everyone's sort of vaccine testimonials, their stories. Why do you like vaccines? Why are they important to you? Um, and then we're going to um, make a big, um, collection of those i'm not going to explain exactly what that's going to be because there's a little bit of proprietariness about that but we're going to make a big collection of those and we're going to um send those on to people who might have some sort of pull with whether or not a commission like this takes place so and and i'll just stop here and i'll mention if if you have a pencil or you know just listen to this podcast over and over again where you want to go is um i made a little vanity um url so tinyurl.com slash vax stories v-a-x s t-o-r-i-e-s um and that's where you can go and and give your testimony so there's actually it's it's a here's something of concern and here's something you can do we're we're a full stop shop today so and that actually was my um thing around the web too which is perfect because that's about as much time as you know we want to spend on something non-hpv related today um so watch this space for um, hopefully um, updates on anything that is or is not happening with that. I feel like this is a big enough topic. We're going to have to address it in a full podcast at some point. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Because <laughs> there's just so much to it. And it, I, I don't feel like it's going to get any smaller as time goes on. So yeah, I don't I think, think we can do it justice today, but uh, it's something that we're going to have to continue to have the conversation on. So we could talk all day about politics and vaccines, and I have a feeling we're going to be doing that for a long time. But we, because it is January, which is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month, uh, we definitely want to do honor to um, our podcast and and to cervical cancer survivors by spending a good chunk of time talking about HPV, um, and in particular, um, HPV vaccines. Um, So I... You know, whenever I just want to preface this by saying whenever I think about HPV vaccines, I think of it as the um, the butt vaccine and not the B-U-T-T vaccine, but the B-U-T vaccine. Right. Um, And that's that I get a lot of I'm totally pro vaccine, but Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. HPV vaccine or um, I think vaccines are really important. But and people so people sort of hem and haw about vaccines. And I'm wondering if you have a shorthand way that you think about HPV vaccines, Nathan. I well, for one thing, I, I, I have that same experience. And there's a fair amount of data to tell us that that is <coughs> kind of that perception exists among both parents and patients, but also providers. Right. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I try to do, I do I give um vaccination classes to the medical students that come through our hospital and I very badly try to dispel that notion Uh, first of all just by the numbers 
and, and you, I believe, made a graphic to kind of demonstrate this, right? By the numbers in terms of how many, just looking at cervical cancer deaths alone, are caused by this vaccine, it actually dwarfs a lot of other uh, vaccine-preventable diseases in terms of number of lives saved. And that's not counting in all the other HPV-associated cancers. So I really try to um, make sure that the people that, I, all my learners that I get to interact with know that this vaccine is worth going to bat for. It shouldn't be the, oh, and also this vaccine. And so that also involves training people uh, both uh, physicians and other medical care providers, as well as staff, nurses, etc., to include it and confidently include it as much as they do every other vaccination. It should not be the tailing off immunization that maybe will do this if if uh, we decide you know it's important enough. But yes, this is as recommended as every other immunization. That's a right. very important message when it comes to medical care providers to get that word out there. It's interesting, too, because I'm actually in the middle of writing an article um, for some place that I'm going to leave sort of vague um, mm -hmm. about HPV vaccines. And it, it's interesting because they've actually done studies on how providers should talk about the HPV vaccine. And, and there's actually a recommendation about how they order um, the vaccines that they're talking about. Your child is here today for Tdap, HPV vaccines, and meningococcal vaccines. They just wedge right in the middle, so mm -hmm. that so that they they come together as a group. Your, your your child's here for all three of these vaccines, and it's sort of, and also it's that presumptive uh, recommendation instead of the hey, what do you think about doing some vaccines mm -hmm. today? Does that sound fun? Um, so that sort of presumptive role um, is really interesting. Uh, the psychology that we have a psychology even at all behind recommending a vaccine that prevents cancer sort of blows my mind. Right. There was a, a paper fairly recently that looked at that in particular, that looked at um, physicians that gave the brief recommendation for HPV vaccination, including it with the other vaccinations, and those that gave a longer uh, recommendation. And it really sparked some interesting um, discussion on, on Twitter about this, because in my opinion and the opinion of other physicians too, the brief recommendation was maybe too brief. I mean, it's very important to make sure that the parents are well-educated, that they know what they're getting immunized for, uh, what their child is getting immunized for. Um, but at the same time, I think the real key is not ostracizing the immunization, not making it seem like anything different than the other immunizations that you recommend equally strongly. Right. Um, let's go back to a second about how important the, the HPV vaccine is, because I think part of the reason it becomes a but vaccine, or I could just call it a conjunction vaccine. If yeah, I'm like more that. comfortable with that conjunction vaccine. <laughs> That'd be better. Like conjunction junction. What's your function? Yes. Um, the the reason it becomes that is that parents also don't see it as uh, an important vaccine, um, and and you know, and you talked about how I I, I made that visual, and I'll I'll tweet that out um, right after I I tweet out this um, at Voices Number Four Vaccines is the Twitter handle, um, but it's it's. You know, when we think about measles, we like to we like to prevent measles. People are all on board of, for preventing measles. Measles used to cause uh, 450 deaths every year before the vaccine was licensed. Um, cervical cancer is almost 10 times as many deaths, um, and you know about what is it? 90 percent of those are HPV caused, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, oh, I so think more than that. I mean, more than that. If I remember correctly, HPV is really the only known cause of cervical cancer. There may be some super rare 
types of cervical cancer that aren't caused by HPV virus, but I think it's pretty much cause of all known cervical cancer. Okay. So, so you know, we're all on board for preventing measles, but uh, we have, you know, 10 times as many people dying from cervical cancer. Why, why hasn't that entered our collective consciousness? Why aren't people you know, as gung-ho about preventing cervical cancer and the five other forms of cancer that HPV causes, um, the way that they are measles. I mean, what's what's your theory on that? uh, There's a couple of things. I mean, one is obviously the stigmatization of anything that has to do with sex. And so there's that whole kind of beast to talk about and sort through with with people sometimes. But also there's the kind of the immediacy, especially on the part of the providers, um, to knowing, okay, I'm immunizing against measles, I'm preventing measles, which is a childhood illness, and we're going to stop this. And maybe even if you haven't seen measles, you're at least familiar with the idea that, um, you know, kids catch infections. If you've gone through residency, you've seen children die of infectious disease. And so you know this fairly well. Whereas, as important as it is, and as strong as the data is and the stats are, uh, to think about cervical cancer down the line, decades down the line, is more nebulous. It's less um, imposing, I think, upon uh, the, the provider as to how important this really is. It's less imposing upon the parent as to how important this is. And that's part of our job, is to make sure that parents understand, yes, this is important. This is life and death. It's a deci- decision now that can save your child's life a fair ways down the line. Um, you know, some sooner, some earlier than others, but um, still is a decision that is kind of an investment in the future as opposed to something that you're just preventing that has immediate consequences now. And that's not necessarily true entirely. I mean, there are, you know, the HPV vaccination prevents genital warts, which can show up earlier and have a significant impact on quality of life. There are other benefits to being immunized against HPV than just prevention of these cancers. But uh, this is a major, this is the major one. This is why it's licensed. And so so to think in the future, to think forward is a little bit more difficult, I think, for people than the immediacy of preventing a disease that used to be caught by everybody, um, you know, in their childhood. Sure, because if I don't vaccinate my child against measles, we could go out into the world. Someone could bring measles to my child and my child could get measles you know, within a few days, sure. a few weeks, um, and and then the complications would be seen immediately. Whereas if my child contracts HPV, first of all, I don't want to think about my 11-year-old con- contracting HPV, right? Like, I don't want to talk about my 11-year-old and sex. But then on top of that, you know, it, you know it, if he or she contracts HPV, it's lots of years down the line before um, we might even know that ever happened. So I'm pretty interested so in knowing yeah, I think, what I our think guests I agree uh, think. Pardon? I, I'm pretty interested in, in what our guests are going to think about why the vaccine, how the vaccine is perceived and why. Yeah, I've got some very good questions for them, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and then the other part that makes it the, the butt vaccine, and, you know, this is always the big elephant in the room, we have to talk about this, is that people wrongly perceive it as not as safe as it is. Right. Um, 
So let's just talk a little bit about exactly how safe this vaccine is. And obviously it is safer than HPV, um, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But it's actually (laughs) an incredibly safe vaccine. It really is. In fact, it's one of, I would say, one of the vaccines that has been demonstrated to be the safest. It has a large amount of uh, placebo-controlled studies uh, on it. Uh, I think a lot of it, uh, a lot of the, the the carefulness with which it was studied was probably motivated by the fact that it was be recognized as, hey, you know what, people might be a little skeptical of this vaccine because of stigmatization and whatnot. Um, it's very important that we, you know, dot our I's and cross our T's with this immunization. And so I think they did that very well. Um, there are studies both, you know, with the vaccine, with the active um, antigens and whatnot against the, just the excipient without the antigens, but there's also studies that confirm those findings against saline as a placebo. There's studies in males and females, there's studies ab- across the age groups, uh, and that was all done prior to licensure. And since then, we've had, I mean, we've, I, I don't know the exact number now, but I believe we're upwards of 100 million d- um, doses given of the vaccine, continual monitoring, looking for problems, uh, and just every time, and, and numerous, I mean, almost too many to to count studies that have looked for specific concerns with the vaccine and looking to find out if there's a causative relationship and continuing to find no serious concerns related to this vaccine at all. So it is an extremely safe vaccine. It does have a pretty dedicated... Um, there's kind of a dedicated vendetta against it amongst, you know, even amongst the, the, the anti-vaccine web pages out there. I think HPV has a special place in their heart to demonize. Uh, and so, and there are certainly plenty of things that you can read in terms of, uh, stories and anecdotes, um, of situations. Yeah, if you want to be scared of this vaccine, sure, go ahead and Google you it. Sure can. Um, yeah. there are certainly, you know, um, people who believe that the vaccine caused certain conditions in their child, none of which have panned out in the scientific literature. And you got to kind of think about it in this way. I mean, if this, uh, this vaccine has been given to millions and millions uh, of people and it is given over, you know, originally it was a three dose series over about six months. Now it's a two dose series for most people over a period of six months. It's given so, and it's given predominantly to teenagers or, or adolescents. Uh, and so, you know, conditions develop in teen years, in males and females, but there are a lot of things like autoimmune conditions that can develop in a, in a teenage female. As somebody who went through residency before this vaccine uh, was out, uh, I saw you know, kids, teenagers with, who developed a chronic illness, who developed an autoimmune condition, lupus, things like that. Those things existed before the vaccine. Uh, Now, when you give a vaccine and it's over a six month period and those symptoms start to develop during that time, you're going to, it's going to be kind of natural to want to blame the vaccine for that. But the reality is that this vaccine has been so thoroughly studied to kind of to try to look for those uh, associations and none have been found. Um, it, it's understandable that some people want to blame certain things on the immunization, but it just doesn't pan out. And it's really too bad that these uh, people want to take the, the child, put the story on the internet as if it's an example of a true reaction to an immunization. 
and, and then scare people. That's really the downside, that, that people are going to get cervical cancer because they've believed stories that aren't actually caused by the immunization. Yeah, and I think that's really, you know, that's why we do what we do, is that we uh, we definitely want parents to get the vaccine. Um, and then the other part is we want them to come in and, and really understand, you know, that that they should be happy about getting the vaccine. Mm-hmm. It's not about just getting the vaccine, but about feeling good about it, and that these stories really are, in a, in a way, unconscionable, because so many of them are just false. Um, or, you know, they, they're proven to be... Um, that there's nothing there so um we we definitely are in this to try to save some lives and prevent some cancer um and i think that's that's a good segue into our two guests what do you think i think that sounds great all right today joining us are frederick lumiere and christine bays um frederick lumiere is the uh director of the film someone you love the hpv epidemic um which is an amazing film that chronicles the lives of uh, Christine and how many other women? Is it five other women? Four other women um, in, in their cervical cancer it's journeys. A total of five women, yeah. Total of five women. Yeah. Five women total um, in their cervical cancer journeys. Um, and, you know, uh, and it's a, a lovely movie. Um, Christine is one of the women chronicled in the movie. And she is also uh, the person who founded the Yellow Umbrella Organization, which we're going to hear about um, in just a moment. But first, I want to start with Frederick. And I want to ask you, Frederick, um, how can people see this movie, this amazing movie that everyone should see? Well, thanks, Karen. And, um, you know, thanks for inviting us to your um, to your podcast it's wonderful so <coughs> the answer to your question is people can see it many ways they can go to hpvepidemic.com and then they can watch it online um, but a lot of folks are actually seeing the film at theatrical venues uh, in schools in uh, community centers around the country and the way we're doing this is we have a, a system which is a, a theatrical on demand system where you can essentially you know buy a a screening license for the public the screening license are pretty affordable i mean they're only three hundred dollars which allows you to show the film to as many people as you want for that one screening or you can get a site license if you want to show the film many times but one of the great developments about this is um we you know a few months back cheryl cheryl is my my partner in crime cheryl sterilakis who is our impact producer, we uh, started thinking, you know, wouldn't it make more sense for the film to be, you know, free um, mm-hmm. in certain states? And so we, we went to work in trying to find sponsors who would sponsor the film in states, which means when the film is sponsored in the state, you can actually show it to the public for free forever. And that's every school, every clinic, you know, every theater, amazing you name it and uh, we were able to to sponsor you know six states up until um, yesterday so we have you know Pennsylvania Maryland Florida Texas Ohio and Kansas but the big announcement that we're super excited about is as as of today and as when people hear this podcast we now have five more states that are sponsored and that's uh, Indiana Missouri, Louisiana, 
West Virginia and Wisconsin. That's and, awesome. And we're really wow. hoping, and we're, we're working very hard now, we're really hoping that the rest of the United States will be sponsored within the next few months, which will mean that Someone You Love, the, the film will be able to be shown to anyone in the United States for free, forever. And, wow. uh, and we're That's very amazing. excited about that. Hmm. So well, congratulations. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah, we're very excited about it. Because the impact is amazing. I mean, we, you know, we get... And testimonials from people who see the film thousands and thousands of people and then all, all these testimonials are available on our website by the way where people just kind of tell you you know how they reacted to the film you can do a keyword search on vaccine and then you'll see how the film is actually you know changing people's minds about you know the hpv vaccine well i had the pleasure of being able to see the film kind of both those ways that you mentioned i saw it as i saw it on my own originally and then I saw it as part of a panel um, at our at, at sponsored by the cancer center at our hospital, and that was on a panel with uh, a gynecologist oncologist as well as a parent, and just the incredible discussion that was able to spark um, was fantastic. Uh, we got to talk to all kinds of parents as well as adolescents about. Uh, the importance of, well, just about cervical cancer in general, and then about the importance of vaccination, about the importance of screening, and I, th I think the film was a fantastic springboard to being able to do that. Yeah, and, and that's amazing, Nathan. I mean, <clears throat> you know, one of the things we felt really strongly about was that we wanted the film to be shown in, you know, in groups, and we want it to be followed by discussions because people have so many questions after the film. And that's one of the reasons we, we love to have, you know, Christine and, and Tamika. They're two incredible advocates. And, and whenever they can, they will come to your screening, you know, um, and, and just have a conversation with, with viewers after the film. And usually the conversation is a, sometime lasts just as long as the film itself. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think um, w one of the things about the film is um, that I really appreciated about the film is that it's not just um, th that it really takes on a lot of really tough issues. And it takes on issues about sort of the cultural encoding around cervical cancer and, and the fallout that happens with cervical cancer, not just because of... Um, you know battling cancer but also because of what happens in people's personal lives and so I'm wondering if you can talk to a little bit about what you learned about how cancer moved through these women's lives again and, and I'll do a little bit of that but I, I would really love for Christine to talk about it because oh, I, mean, you know, I learned I learned <laughs> I learned from Christine really what what it's like to be a woman um, with cervical cancer but I'll tell you that there are, you know, there's many different facets of dealing with cervical cancer. And, that, and that's one of the things that I think people don't realize, which is, you know, um, you know, a lot of folks will say, well, cervical cancer is curable mostly if you catch it on time. And, and they're not incorrect, but it's still not a walk in the park. You know, <laughs> even, I mean, Christine is, is alive and well, and, and, and God bless her for all the work she's doing. But she went through hell and back to survive. And, and Christine, do you want to talk about that a little bit? I mean, absolutely. Just as a woman, when you're told you have cancer, that is like this huge 
wash that comes over you and then the reality of cervical cancer that is caused by HPV and all that stigma that surrounds that I didn't know anything at 31 after 13 normal pap smears you know I was just this normal you know woman going through her life and then all of a sudden I was being told hysterectomy chemo radiation internal radiation like no babies for bays and and I just you know it's one of those things that changes how you view life and and everything that moves forward is different from what came before and I do think that that's one of the things that you captured so well in the film Frederick that for all of us the five of us are so similar in our experiences and yet so vastly different because we are all unique in how it impacted our lives and you did such a good job of showing that emotional and psychosocial impact as well as educating the public and the providers and the patients about the reality of HPV what it is what we can do to stop it both with the HPV vaccine as well as the better screenings that have incurred over the years with the liquid PAP and the HPV tests. So it's like we have this incredible opportunity to stop cancer. And it's like, boo, cancer. <laughs> and it's like, why are we why are we stumbling over our, our shoes and our footsteps and our words when it comes to this one just because it's associated with a virus that is sexually transmitted through you know skin to skin contact that by the way 80% of everybody gets so it's not about promiscuity or infidelity or any of that it's about being human if you want to have a family if you want to have a a partner in life you will be exposed to this vaccine and whether or this virus and how your body responds is not up to you and that's why this vaccine provides such an incredible opportunity to stop you know 90% of the oncogenic HPV as well as you know 6 and 11 with the warts so I'm just saying I don't know I'm just I'm so honored to be a part of it and Frederick and Nathan and Karen I just thank you for jumping on it as a survivor obviously you can see my passion feel it I get going and it's like wait you know like oh base but it's like it is my life and it has been my life and I don't want anybody to have to go through the losses and and the struggles that I've gone through or that the other women in the film have gone through Right. I think one of the it, yeah, my favorite that's I mean that's such an amazing um, testimony that you give to that, and I'm just wondering um, if you can talk because I know that you grew close to some of these women, both you you and Frederick, Christine and Frederick did. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about you know some of those non-physical things that happened in your life too. I know at one point in the movie you said you know, you feel like you're toxic. And, you know, Susie went through a really hard time with her marriage and, and you know, she came out, you, you know, pretty physically okay. Um, but there, there were a lot of relationship things that happened and a lot of just sort of personal identity things that happened. And what, what happens to a woman when, when it's cervical cancer? Ah, uh, well, the, the intimacy factor is just... Um, you know, nobody wants to talk about down there for anything, let alone, um, like, when you are having poison pumped through your veins and you're being fried and cut and it's painful and then you're supposed to then be able to c reconnect with a partner, you know, and make that a, 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 
connection again when it's like this has been severed and fried and cut and so it's the the physical part but it's also the emotional psychosocial part of the partner not wanting to hurt the other person and you even wanting to let anybody go there but like but please let's try to heal together but it is really um unique in that you know can each and every cancer is so different and comes with its own baggage and for cervical cancer and what it does to a woman's sexual identity and what happens in her sexual health moving forward and whomever dares to jump into that with her it, it's a lot and and that's one of the things that you know Tamika Felder one of the other women in the film that is just dynamic and fantastic about embracing all that is woman you know with or without her parts and bits and pieces it's like you know we are still women with or without what has happened and yet we had to get used to our new bodies and adjust and then bring any partner that ever wants to dare come along with us in a new vein and so it's it's unique and it's what it's again it's it's I'm lucky I'm one of the lucky ones because I am here on this podcast you know with Frederick and you guys to like chat about my hooch and saving it and (laughs) you know but the reality is that not everybody in that film is able to be here and tell their story and those other women that are not here both that were in the film and in other films like Lady Ganga um there are 12,000 women in the United States that are diagnosed, about 4,000 die every year. That's unacceptable given the tools that we have, both in prevention with the vaccine and better and better detection with the HPV tests and PAP tests. So that's where I'm like, people, what are we waiting for? <laughs> you know, there's another thing I think that, that's important to mention to Karen, and it's the, the stigma. The stigma of uh, being diagnosed with HPV and what that does to your relationship, um, even before you know the treatment of having to deal with it, and that, and if you really think about what the stigma is about, it's about one of the most ridiculous stigmas there is. Because when you look at the numbers of HPV infection, you know all the experts will tell you that you know anywhere anywhere north of 80% of people who are sexually active will contract HPV at some point in their lives. So that's 80%. That's 8 out of 10 people. So when we have a stigma against people who have quote-unquote HPV, we're really having a stigma against people who get sick from HPV, who are not able to get rid of it on their own. It's not a stigma against people who have HPV because virtually everybody has it. So now we're saying, I have a stigma against you because your, your immune system was not able to get rid of what I probably had myself. And that's the one thing that was the most shocking to me, that you know, here's a stigma against something that most of us have at some point. Nathan, I heard you. Well, I was, I was thinking about how much of the theme throughout the documentary was just showing how it affected these women's lives and, and their need for support. And so one of the most powerful moments uh, for me when I watched it was to see several of the women come together at uh, the benefit that you were having, Christine, and oh, yeah. just to lean on each other in that way. Um, it was really kind of a, an Avengers Assemble moment there for the, uh, for the film. 
uh-huh. and I wanted to hear about what it was like to. Well, first, I really want to know about how uh, Frederick, how you came to know these stories and to include them in your film, and then what it was like when some of them got to meet. So I'll start by answering the question, then I'll, I'll hand it over to Christine because it's really, <laughs> she's really the answer to the question. Um, you know, when when we decided to make a film, Mark Hefty and I decided to make this film. The anyone we would ask, you know, where can we find you know women who are survivors or who are dealing with this issue? You know, uh, Christine's name I think came back to us at least four or five times. Everybody <laughs> says you, you need to talk to Christine Bayes. She she is <laughs> the person you want to talk to. So she's really the first person we talked to. And and from Christine, then we found Tamika because Christine works very closely with Tamika. Christine put us in touch with uh, uh, Susie, I believe, as well. Um, and then, you know, th- there was an, another couple, um, um, uh, Kirk and Brenda Forbes, who lost their daughter, Kristen, um, are doing essentially what Christine does on the East Coast and now more, but, you know, in the Midwest. And then we really wanted to find someone who had just discovered that um, she had, you know, cervical cancer. And I was and Kelly's angel through Immerman yeah. Angels. And I so remember when you it. were yeah. asking and I said, I think I just met this wonderful woman who's in, and I think she might be willing. And, and I remember calling her and talking to her. And I remember sending you the email, Frederick, you know, mm-hmm. saying like, dude, this is like, and I had just met her because of our connection through Immerman Angels. Angels and at 31 she was going through and going through her treatments and that she was brave enough and said absolutely yeah I'll let these cameras in she was a really cool girl I'm so honored to that I have been in her life period yeah it's hard because you know I mean we we all became friends and um there's a certain there's a certain um quality to a friendship with someone like kelly who is sharing so much mm-hmm. with you um and such personal personal moments in her life uh for both mark and i you know it was incredibly difficult i mean kelly was like a sister to us so to give you an example you know when when kelly went to the benefit that that Christine put together, you know, she stayed in my house for three days. Um, so we did a little bit of filming here. And then from here, the crew went to see Christine with Kelly. So, you know, you, you become, you become family. And, um, and Christine, I'm mean, sorry, Kelly was supposed to be the success story of this, of this, uh, of this film. So it's difficult to this day. It's, it's incredibly difficult. You know, I, I dread the, I read the the anniversaries. I, it's beyond a doubt, these two films, Lady Ganga and and Someone You Love, the most difficult films I have ever made, ever, and probably yeah. will ever make. <laughs> and, and you haven't made easy films either, because your yeah. history before this was actually you made a lot of war mm. documentaries. Yeah. So, in and the war documentaries that I've made, you know, for History Channel and Discovery, were films also with you know, um, vets that I got to know really, really well. And and I think as of, actually as of three weeks ago, every single vet that I interviewed that I became friends with has died. The last one died three mm. weeks ago. Wow. So, and, but that's, I mean, but these guys are like in their 90s. 
they they are heroes before they leave uh they have a huge smile on their face they survive one of the most horrific experience of their life which which is the war you know and um and so i'm not saying it's easy you know it's always difficult but but you witness an incredibly well-lived life you know a life of a of a war hero and but that's different you know that's what you do here is that you witness a life taken way too soon for from someone who doesn't want to leave so it's it's a different kind of um uh, trauma to to your psyche as a filmmaker you know absolutely and i can't imagine when kelly contacted you and told you the cancer was back how uh how how devastating that was for all of you in the film yeah it's um i i I will never forget that moment i mean i was cleaning my pool which i hate to do (laughs) um (laughs) i was cleaning my pool there was way too many leaves and i didn't want to talk to anybody but whenever kelly called i would answer and I saw her her call, and we had finished the film. I mean, we had finished mm-hmm. it. I sent her a cut. She loved it. The, f- the original cut of the film ended with pictures of her uh, swimming with dolphins and, and an update. You know, Kelly's doing well, and she did her surgery. And she called me, and she said... Um, and Kelly never cried, by the way. She, she very rarely, rarely cried. She, she hated to cry. And she didn't want people to cry because she was so strong and positive and and I always remember she called me and from the moment I answered the phone she was in tears and I said what's going on and she said I haven't even told my family yet you're the first call I made uh the cancer's back and there's nothing they can do and and oh my god it was devastating you know it, it was it was absolutely horrendous it was horrible 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 yeah and and you know I think um something that's so important about this film I mean I, I, and I use the word important on purpose um, is that it's not just a film about these women but it, it's it's titled very well someone you love it's not just these women it could be anyone you love and I actually think um, you didn't you use that phrase Christine someone th- you know this could be someone so you, you know love. why it's called someone you love right <laughs> <laughs> Christine why don't you sing it <laughs> what would you do for someone you love would you run through the rain jump on a plane take all the pain for someone you love <laughs> yeah so they they were like hey bays we're looking for a title for the movie and kelly's going on jeff probes the next morning we want to have a thing and you're a creative one and hey you know and i just I was like, I will, I'll write this song, and I, but, but honestly, it was just like, I, I don't write on command, but I know this feeling and this, this, this job, this advocacy role that I've taken on for these years as a survivor, and I know what moves people, and I know that it's like taking it to the personal level, and when you go to think about your mom, think about your daughter, think about your girlfriend, think about your brother think about your favorite teacher think about your neighbor you know what I mean then mm-hmm. all the x you know gets torn away it doesn't matter when it's someone you love you would do anything for that person and so when it comes to HPV and cervical cancer it's like yo people we have the opportunity what would you do for someone you love your kid you know it's like yo get them vaccinated because there's 90% chance they won't have to go through what I 
or Susie or Kristen or Tamika or Kelly went through. You know what I mean? They don't have to lose their fertility. They don't have to lose their lives. It's like that's as easy as one, two, three shots. Then it's like, oh, by the way, people, and by the way, let's do the screening. We've got that HPV test that's like such more accurate information that you can be more proactive with for women over 30. And it's like, no matter what your age, there is something we can do about HPV and the cancers it causes for both men and women. So it's, it, you know, it, I'm the one that had to make the call to my mom and say, Mom, I have some really bad news. And that was like a horrific call. And I know that that call changed my mom's life forever and my dad and my husband, you know, and it's like, and I, I know what it was like for them to watch while well, I watched them watch me go through my treatments and go through my surgeries and go through my depression and go through everything that followed and continues, you know, as lucky as I am, there is like, there's never a day that goes by that I'm not aware that I'm not a survivor and that I'm not aware of the consequences that cancer has had on my life, both physically and psychologically, but I fucking rock, ooh, excuse my language. I That's okay, so explicitly rated. So. Okay. <laughs> like, ah, I am so <laughs> very grateful to be here and I know that I am here to do what I am supposed to do and I'm grateful to have people like Frederick help me do it on a larger level. You know, as I've been doing it on like grassroots level be it in rock clubs or be it in schools or universities or in front of doctors or anybody that will listen but to have this film available to so many audiences let alone in so many states for free and it offers CEUs and you know continue education credits for for medical professionals like there's no reason why this can't get in front of so many eyes and open the hearts emotionally and open the minds intellectually to doing the right thing and to doing everything we can to get rid of HPV cancers. Boom. Ta-da. Later. <laughs> That's what I have to say about that. <laughs> you know, if there's one more thing I wanted to talk about real quick, because you did talk about the, the vaccine, and I think you guys were talking about it before, yep. before we got on. And so, you know, one of the... The, the primary kind of response that I get from parents after watching the film, because we, we don't talk about the vaccine that much, and we don't talk about the safety of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And one of the primary questions that I get is that, well, you know, I, I hear all of this, but the vaccine, I hear so many horrible things about it, and I and I see so these videos and so forth. So, so one of the things that I did, because I actually do have two girls myself, you know, they're eight and ten, so they're they're getting ready to to get the vaccine. Is I really did the research, you know? I, I and and I'm a filmmaker. You know, I, I'm not a pro vaccine or or, or anti vaccine person. I'm just a filmmaker. A documentary filmmaker reports what he finds, and so here is what I found about the vaccine, and that's usually what I tell folks who who ask me about it. So, so you have to look at two sets of data. The first set of data is. What is the likelihood of your daughter getting HPV or cervical dysplasia that she will have to be um, or she will need intervention for? And that's about the 10% chance, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, according to the CDC, virtually everybody will get HPV. And 10% of these people will not be able to fight the infection on their own. So there's a 1 in 10% chance that, you know, your 
your girl or your baby at some point when she is of age will have to get some kind of intervention with the HPV uh, infection. So one in 10. So let's look at the vaccine now, because you know, the, the fact is, you know, and that's usually what I tell people, because you know, we, we've shown the film to thousands and thousands of people. We'll have people who come to us say, my, you know, my daughter was hurt by the vaccine. And I'll say, I usually don't come back and say, well, no, she wasn't, because I don't know if she was or not. You know, and the fact is, I'm not your doctor, and I don't know the circumstances. But here's what I can tell you, is that I've done the research and, you know, any kind of, first of all, not all, no vaccine is 100% safe, right? No medicine is 100% safe. To quote Sanjay Gupta, you know, 12 out of 10,000 people who take aspirin are at risk of having an, you know, intracerebral hemorrhage. Then people don't think twice about taking, you know, or, or taking an aspirin. But when it comes to the HPV vaccine, not only is it one of the safest one, it's actually documented because anytime somebody claims that they are hurt by a vaccine, the HRSA has to document this. So let's just see how many people claim to have been hurt from the vaccine of HPV. And I'll tell you what the numbers are. And it's fully documented. From 2006 to 2014, 77 million doses of the HPV vaccine were administered, 77 million. During that time, there were 181 claims for compensation filed, right? 181. Out of, out of those 181, 92 were dismissed and 89 were actually compensated for. Now, 89 doesn't mean that these people were actually hurt by the vaccine. It means they couldn't prove they weren't, right? Right. So it's still not a proof. So what is the percentage? If you look at that percentage, that's 0.0001%. So now these are the two sets of data that I have to look at as a parent. I have a one in 10% chance of cervical dysplasia versus one in a million potential injury from an HPV vaccine. And when I present it to parents that way, it's a no brainer. It really is a no brainer. One in 10 versus one in a million potential. Wow. That's a great way to put it in perspective. That's great, Frederick. Yeah. I'm curious related to that. And as your um, film is so, it, it, the scope is so broad and covers so much about HPV, more than just the vaccination. Have you run in, though, to issues with people who are pretty adamantly against HPV vaccination? Um, I'm curious what your experience with people are that have been basically against the vaccine. Have you seen much of that, or has it been mostly just questions about from people with with who want to know more information and are willing to listen? No, I, I mean I, I've run into a ton of people who are against the vaccine. I mean, not only just vaccination, but the HPV vaccination, just because you know it comes with all, another set of stigma, the stigma mm -hmm. of why are we vaccinating our daughters for for sexual activity at an age where they have no business doing it. And I mean, so I've, I've run into about every case you can imagine. But what I usually do is, is explain things kind of like what I've just explained it to you. Huh? And after seeing the film, um, it really converts people. I mean, you, you go to hpvepidemic.com and then click on testimonials and you can search thousands of, of feedback from people who say, you know, I was against it. I'm calling my pediatrician tomorrow. You know, um, it's it's incredible, and, and I mean the thing is, look, look the the number one objections that I get are, um, I promote 
you know, abstinence, right? And so my answer to this is very simple. It's like, oh, I get it. I mean, I've got two girls, and as far as I'm concerned, until they're 31, they're not even dating. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. But, but what happens when they're 31, right? right? And what they happens? want a family. And they want a family. What, what happens then? Do you, do you not want to protect them now for then? Because, because if you don't, the likelihood, again, is that you're taking a 10% chance. So that's my first answer, you know. Then the, the, the answer to the safety uh, I've, just, I've just told you about, you know. Um, and um, anyway, so but there's a lot of objection, and usually there's, there's a very simple answer. And, and, and the thing that I usually tell them that I think is the most powerful that uh, parents look at me and they go, oh, my gosh, you're right, is, you know, you, you can promote... You know, you can promote certain behavior from your kids and you hope that you educate them the best you can because your kids are going to be great. But you don't really want to threaten your kids with cancer. That's not no. an equal yeah. thing. You know, it's not like if my kid doesn't behave or makes a mistake, I don't want to be able to say, oh, see, I told you, now you got cancer. You got what you deserve. I don't think any parent wants that. And when they understand that, you know, they, they just kind of realize, look, I can have other kinds of consequences, but cancer is not one that anyone should ever, you know, uh, wish on anyone. So, and you don't have to do anything wrong. You know what I mean? It's not even about the bad behavior at a young age, like you said. You can be 31 and you have met the love of your life, and you're getting married, and and then you are exposed to HPV for the first time. You know, and and, and again, the the thing that I was forgetting to say is, you know, the. The other thing is, it's not just intercourse, you know. And so when you start bargaining with, you know, when are my kids going to be sexually active, what does that mean? What, what does sexual, sexual activity mean to you, you know? Because believe me, HPV is not just transmitted through intercourse. It's transmitted through, you know, a lot of different ways. You know, um, you know um, oral sex is one. But, you know, now there's some study, you know, in, in Canada where they say it's some deep kissing. And actually, if you go to the CDC, they'll say, you know, deep kissing. They call it French kissing. I don't know why they call it French kissing on the CDC. I'm French, but I don't think we invented it. But they say French kissing could actually be a way to transmit HPV. So then at that point, you're going to, now you're going, if you want to bargain with time, now you're going to have to start you know, evaluating at what age is my kid going to do what? And it's just not a good idea. You yeah. know? <laughs> well, and it's my understanding that the vaccine, also the uptake is the best, like at 11, right. 12, with where their, you know, bodies are absorbing stuff and everything. So it's like you want to get the helmet on the kid before he gets on the bike, you know, as well as when the body is able to take it in uh -huh. the best. And You're so, absolutely right. yeah. you know, that's where, it, and yet that we have the availability from 9 to 26. So should the, you know, person not be able to get it or have not been approved to get it at that age that still up until 26 that is still available and out there for both men and women is so cool it's like yay that we have this opportunity. And, the, and the men aspect is also so important to talk about i mean we're we're seeing now you know epidemic proportion you know oral uh, hpv oral cancer um in, in men in men yeah. yes and 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 the majority of them, or the majority, yeah, I'd say actually a majority, are white males in their 60s. But the big issue with this is that, you know, we're not going to know, you know, the progress on fighting that because there's no test for it, and it takes so long for it to develop. So, 
you know, again, your boys need to be vaccinated, not only because they're part of the, the you know, they're part of the equation, but also to protect them. You know, you got to protect your boys as well. So it's just a good idea overall. And when you put in the mix the safety of the vaccine, which I just described, you, you know, we have a vaccine against cancer, which is incredible. You know, um, there's really no reasons to, to, to do this. And, and it's just so disheartening for the researchers, because, you know, we interviewed, you know, researchers, William Bonnet, who was, you know, at one of the guys who was mm -hmm. working until 3 a.m., you know, trying to discover this vaccine. And, and, and one of the questions which I didn't put in the film was to him, if I had told you that once you discover this vaccine against these cancers, that there would be, you know, a movement against it just because of misinformation, how would you feel? And he's, and he's like, you know, he was borderline tears because, you know, it takes a community of researchers years and years of hard work to discover a vaccine and a safe one. And and for it not to be adopted by 100% of the population is unconscionable for them. Absolutely. I think it really um, speaks to the importance of having films like this uh, to be able to have very well told stories about um, victims of these diseases in this case uh, HPV uh, but true about all vaccine preventable diseases um, uh, people opposed to vaccinations are very good at trying to get stories out that may or may not be factually accurate but are sure as heck um, going to, to, to evoke an emotional response from you yeah. about the vaccine. Yeah. And we, as, as vaccination advocates, we, we know that this is important, but we don't have, we, we don't have as many well-told stories as we need because it, it, as much as I try to lay out the dry facts all the time, this is not what necessarily changes minds, at least for a percentage of the population. But your film that you guys have, put together that you guys have 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 crafted uh does change minds powerfully and i can't speak enough as to how important that is uh in the landscape that we're looking at well th thanks for saying that and and you know i mean people react people react to different things but i think seeing pain and suffering is something that you know unfortunately gets our attention and like you said you know if if um you know there's 900 900 99,999 people who never thought twice after getting the HPV vaccine who are not going to get on Facebook and say, look at me, I'm healthy today again. Yeah. Yep. You know, they're, they're right. just going to move on with their lives. Um, but there's, there may be this one person who, you know, look, potentially had a reaction. And then, you know, I'm not saying it's, uh, no one is saying it's impossible, but that person is going to do more damage to public health unfortunately, because they're angry, you know, they're angry. And, and so this is why we feel it's just as important. And, and this is why I think Kelly is a true hero, in my opinion, and she's just as much a hero as the, the vets who, who fought in World War II that I, that I followed, you know, because she decided to essentially sacrifice her, you know, her comfort, her, you know, her, her privacy. She sacrificed so much in order to help others. She knew that what she was going to show was going to be ugly, difficult to look at, um, and it was not going to, you know, at some point, you know, in those last scenes, Kelly is the one who wanted us to show this. She's, she says, no, you're coming. You're coming. Because we said to her, you know, we want to come and say goodbye, 
but we don't necessarily have to bring our camera. And you know, it, it, at this point, it would take her literally 15 minutes just to write one text. And and the, one of the last texts she wrote to me is that she wrote, "If you're coming, you're bringing your damn camera." Oh. And. And, and this is it. But that was Kelly, right? And 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 she knew that people needed to see it, because once they see it, once they see the impact of 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 being, essentially, you know, uh, devastated by cervical cancer, people will pay attention. And it was exactly the same thing for Michelle Baldwin. Michelle right. said to me, she made me promise. I want you to bring your camera and I want you to film everything. Yeah, I Michelle want Baldwin's Lady Ganga. Yeah. And yeah. she said, I, I want you to film my dead body because I want people to see a dead body because it, it can be sanitized. And so these are the stories and these are the heroes that are essentially fighting back against the, you know, the anti-vaxxer who are showing you something that's so difficult to look at because, you know what, it's just as difficult to look at. A, a sick person, a person who's dying is difficult no matter how they are getting to the point where they are so mm -hmm. um, I, I respect these women and I admire them for for what they've done I admire I admire Christine for the work she does every day because you have to understand too I mean Christine has a lot of survivor's guilt as a result of that because you know she she made it and now she's spending think about this you've made it through cervical cancer and now you're spending your days and your weeks and your months helping others where she could very easily move on and just write songs about something else. But no, she is de mm -hmm. dedicating her time to relive it over and over and over mm -hmm. and seeing, you know, some of the women that she becomes, you know, very good friends with lose their lives. Yeah. And that's a different kind of, of heroism, but, but, you know, just as powerful to me, you know, um, I admire that. And, and same with... Brenda and Kirk Forbes and Tamika with Survivor, you know, with C E R V Survivor. You know what I mean? It's like, like we do what we do because we know how fortunate we are, and that we are representing Kelly, Absolutely. that we are representing Kristen, that we are like Kelly wanted to go to the schools with me. Like she had talked about doing the school program with me. Like she completely. So every time I do a program, I tell them that she is here with us doing this you know what I mean and that's what you know Frederick again you know thanks for what you and Mark did because you've brought this to so many eyes in so many different places and it's like you've you've done a beautiful thing and trying to help us beat this cancer and so HPV and all the cancers it causes so hey man thanks for jumping under the umbrella Ella Ella because it's yellow <laughs> no, before we before we wrap up I'm hoping Christine you can just say a couple of words and um, give some information about how people can learn more about the yellow umbrella organization right on so my organization is called the yellow org, and I go wherever people will ask me to go I speak to different vaccine organization groups to different parent groups, to different patient groups, to high schools, to middle schools, to universities, to cytologists, to sales reps, to <laughs> like you name it, senators. I just go anywhere where people are interested in a human story about, you know, a girl, just this little dork from upstate New York who happened to, you know, have the like luck to survive cervical cancer and now has chosen to dedicate my life to saving the hooch because you know call it a hooch cooch 
vagina of a JJ, you know, you've got the explicit <laughs> language on this podcast. <laughs> but no, it's like, you know, this happened to me and I, I don't want it to happen to anybody else. And I am lucky and I do wish I could have had a little Chrissy. And if anybody would like to just jump under this brigade and say, hey, we can do something to stop these cancers, check out the Yellow Umbrella organization on Facebook, you know, ask for a visit, tell people that you love, someone that you love, anybody, everybody that you love about the importance of the HPV vaccine, 9 to 26 boys and girls, pap tests, and the HPV test for women 30 and up. Like, that's it. We can do something with this and... It takes, it takes a village, turns out. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for being part of my village, Nathan and Karen. Oh, yeah. Seriously, thank you. And Frederick, you know, boom, boom. You always have my love. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So any, uh, le- any last thoughts for our uh, listeners to this brand new podcast? Well, I, I would say this. I would say, you know, um, come to hpvepidemic.com. Um, look at the states that are um, sponsored, meaning you can actually show the film for free. You can show the film for free to anyone in your community. You can, if you have access to a theater, just get a DVD and, and then show the film in the theater. But if you had a budget, see, if you had a little bit of a budget that you don't have to spend now because you can show the film for free, I would say use that budget to invite Christine or Tamika to come you know, to your screening, mm. because it's going to make an amazing difference into the experience when people are going to see, first of all, you know, two stars, in my opinion, mm. but, you know, to hear them, you know, firsthand after the film to kind of give you the insight, you know, of not only what it's like to be a cervical cancer survivor, but also maybe, you know, some people may be interested in, in the filmmaking process. What was it like to be part of this film? I would totally. say, you know, um, contact us directly, you know, hpvepidemic.com. Send us an email and say, look, we'd love to have Christine or Tamika or, or the Forbes uh, or even Susie. But Christine and Tamika are really, you know, on the, on the East Coast. They're experts at that. And if you have a little bit of a budget, you know, just, um, you know, get them to come to your screening. It'll, it'll make a, a huge difference now that the film is free. Um, and I think a lot more people will be able to do that. Well, thank you so much. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Frederick, for communicating our real stories, you know, to real people. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. And, I um, just turned on the camera, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and make me laugh and make me cry and all of the above. <laughs> so it, it's a pretty wonderful film. I do want to encourage um, anyone, if, if, you know, you just want to watch it in your home, um, certainly uh, do that. You can do that at HPV epidemic.com you can stream it online too i think it's four dollars right yeah um i want to thank christine and frederick for joining nathan and i today um it was just a wonderful conversation right on thank you so much guys (laughs) and we look forward to your next podcast um you know it's it's a great thing you're doing and 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 we're thrilled and honored to be the first you guys were absolutely you guys were right fantastic on fantastic first guests to have thank you yeah, so much <laughs> go forth and save the hooch <laughs> that's right thank you so much <laughs> Thank you for joining me, Karen Ernst. I'm the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstrom, general pediatrician. And uh, this is Vax Talk, your uh, 
your vaccines podcast. Um, you can find us at www.voicesforvaccines.org slash podcast. Please also visit Voices for Vaccines and either become a member or support us through a financial donation. Um, you can follow Voices for Vaccines on Twitter at Voices for Vaccines, um, and that's with the number four. And you can follow Nathan on Twitter, too. Yep, you can find me at uh, PedsGeekMD. It's my Twitter handle. You can also find me on Facebook, and I have a blog uh, called PedsGeekMD.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a good afternoon or morning or day, or whatever you're having. Bye-bye. One more time. I got it. Would you do?